We're starting a new series this morning called Urgent, as you saw in the video. And the heartbeat of this series that we're going to be starting today and diving into is for each of us to see this urgency of living out our calling and taking Jesus to those around us. The word urgent, I'm sure many of you have, have had some urgencies in your life where you, if you're like me, when I think about that word, I think back to the times in college where professor gave us a, a huge paper to write or something that was due. And, and if, you're, if any of you are like me and you procrastinate about things, uh, you found yourself sitting there typing ferociously at the keyboard, looking at the clock going, man, I got to have this thing turned in by midnight tonight. And so you had this panic and this sense of urgency about you. For others, it may be that you didn't plan very well and you got caught off guard by something. And then you realize that that event was today and you're rushing around in a sense of panic and trying to get your kids ready and get everybody out the door with this urgency about you to get to where you need to be. And so let me give you the, the definition of urgent if, if you don't already know what that is. The word urgent means this. It means requiring immediate, everybody say immediate, immediate action or attention. You see, most of us would say that the gospel is of utmost importance in our life. Would you agree with that? The gospel is of utmost importance and requires urgent and immediate action, yet our daily lives and the way we go about our daily lives might say otherwise. We don't live out the gospel with this sense of urgency. You see, if the eternal destiny of humanity depends upon this message, the gospel that we're talking about today, and we have been sent by God to share this message with our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors, and even the strangers that God brings across our path, then why are we as sons and daughters of God not living with a sense of urgency about us? You see, we're living in a day and age where we have, the opportunity has never been greater to advance this message, but I sense uh, that the church, by and large, not just New Beginnings, but the church globally, doesn't really have a real sense of urgency about it. You see, if Jesus is coming back, and He is, because His Word tells us that, if hell is real, and it is, and the Bible is true, then we should have a sense of urgency. How could we not have a sense of urgency to proclaim this message? And so this is my prayer for us as we start this series and as we move through this series over the next couple of weeks, that the Spirit of God would convict us, that it would show us, that it would compel us and move us to action. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the worship that we have already experienced in this place this morning. God, I thank you for everyone in this room. God, I pray over the next few moments as we dive into your word that your spirit would convict us, that it would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand and fall more in love with you. And because of that, that we would be uh, that we would live our lives with a sense of urgency to proclaim your goodness to others. So God, we're asking you to move in a powerful way in this place today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. So this morning, we've got some work to do. We're going to be looking at Matthew 24. And so if you have your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, I'd ask you to go ahead and open them up to Matthew 24. 
There are going to be other supporting passages this morning, but 99% of everything we're going to look at is in the chapter, Matthew chapter 24. And so today we're going to be dealing with what is one of the most difficult subjects in the Bible. Uh, I want us to see the urgency of the reality that we are living in what is known as the last days. And so I, I, I know when you look around at 2020, you're like, yeah, I believe it. I mean, as if it couldn't get any worse, and then it does, right? And so I believe if 2020 had a theme song, it would be this. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So let me tell you something. That is, that is the theme song for 2020. Uh, in 1987, REM, the group that sings that song, released that song in 1987, but yet... In 2020, that song has been downloaded and, and played more than it was when it was first released. And that's just because of what we're going through and what we're dealing with. People have just jumped on that bandwagon and go, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if everything ended tomorrow. And all of you agree with that statement going, man, I don't know if it could get any crazier, any worse out there. You see, the chaos in the world, the, the political unrest, the fighting a global pandemic, the lack of global peace, the economic uncertainty that we find ourselves in, the natural disasters, the continued rise of immorality, and the global hatred of Christianity are all evidences that we are living in the last days, and I believe that the return of Jesus is imminent. The half-brother of Jesus, James, says it like this in James chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. He says this, you also be patient. I love this part right here. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Think about this. Have you ever been planning an event and invited people over to your house and then had a guest arrive early, unexpected. Like you, you had your timeline down, you had your plan, and you were dusting and vacuuming and cleaning. You were preparing the, the desserts and the, the salad and all of these things. And all of a sudden, that one guest decides to show up 45 minutes early. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. Catches you off guard. You're unprepared. Your hair's a mess. You haven't even gotten dressed yet. And you're going, how are they already here? They catch you off guard. You're unprepared. And so listen, when we think about the return of Jesus, there are always a thousand different questions that are asked about all the different nuances of his return. But these questions often overshadow what I believe are the most important questions that we should be asking. And so this morning, my goal is not meant to answer all of these other peripheral questions about the second coming of Christ, but my goal this morning is I want us to be able to simply answer two questions. I want you to ask yourself these two primary, primary questions, and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these down. If the judge, like James says, is truly at the door, are you certain of where you will spend eternity? And number two, if you are certain, will the judge find you living with a sense of urgency and faithfulness to his mission? Will he catch you doing the work he's called you to do? Will you be about the business of sharing the gospel, of living out the mission that God has called you to live? Matthew 24, starting in verse 1 
is where we're going to be reading this morning. I want to give you some context about what's going on here before we just dive into it. In Matthew 24, you have Jesus speaking himself. So the the letters are in red. And Jesus is talking and teaching his disciples in this chapter. But before this chapter, in Matthew 23, Jesus takes his disciples, which were just blue-collar fishermen, country boy, if you will, from the small rural towns surrounding Jerusalem. He takes his, his buddies, his disciples, into the big city to this place called Jerusalem, and he takes them into the temple, and this temple would have just been mind-blowing for them. They would have looked at this place and gone, man, we've never seen anything like this. It is so grand and so massive and so elegant. Everything is plated and covered in gold. I mean, it is mind-boggling. And in the temple, Jesus is having this conversation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day. And he goes through that and he just, honestly, he just drops the hammer on these religious leaders. And he gives them all of these, what we call the woes. And he says, woe to you, those who swear by this temple or swear by the gold in this temple. And woe to you, you're like a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Like you look good on the outside, but you're dead and rotten on the inside. And he just goes through there, just dropping the hammer on them throughout Matthew 23. He gets to the end of that uh, brutal conversation with those religious guys and he looks at them and he says, I tell you the truth, not a stone of this temple will be left standing. In other words, this place is all that you, you swear by that you hold in such high esteem, that you, have li- that you come to worship in weekly, but yet you're still dead on the inside. He said, I want you to know that this thing that you hold so high, it will fall, it will crumble. There will not be a stone left unturned. And Jesus' disciples, in that moment, their minds were just blown, and they're thinking like a lot of us would. If something that catastrophic, this temple that has been here for thousands of years that is held in such high esteem in our society where the presence of God comes and inhabits and dwells among his people for thousands of years, if you're going to really destroy this place and it's all going to crumble and it's just going to be nothing but rubble left, then we need to know something. Jesus, can you give us the inside scoop? Can you let us know like when that's going to happen so that we're not unprepared, but we can actually be prepared and be ready for that day? Because that's going to be a big day. That's going to be a day where you must become, where you must, gonna, you must come riding in on your horse and you must be taking over. You must be setting yourself up to rule and reign over everything. And so the disciples wanted to be prepared and be ready for that. And so here we go in Matthew 24. Jesus now leaves the temple after he drops the the mic and walks off, if if you will. And he leaves the temple and he leaves Jerusalem and he walks out of there and he leaves the city and he walks up onto this mountain known as the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives would overlook Jerusalem by about 500 feet higher than, than Jerusalem. And so they have this great view, this bird's eye view of the city of Jerusalem and of this massive temple. And he's sitting there on the mountain teaching his disciples. And this is where we're going to pick up. And Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them and he says, you see all of these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And Jesus is telling them that the temple will be destroyed. And in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? 
When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming of in the end of the age? So in this moment, when the disciples hear what Jesus said, they sit down privately and they begin to ask him questions. They go, hey, when is this going to happen? So they ask these two questions. One, when will the temple be destroyed? In the text it says, when will these, these things that you've said happen? Number two, what will be the signs of the end of the age? What should we be looking for in order that we might know that it's coming and we might be prepared, the end of the age? And Jesus is going to answer both of these questions for them and for us this morning. And around these questions, in this passage, you have these two major prophecies, not written by a prophet, but written by Jesus himself, spoken by Jesus himself, and recorded by Matthew. And the first prophecy is this. It's the destruction of the temple. And the second prophecy is the prophecy of his return. And in everything around this, Jesus is explaining what life will be like before he returns so that we can be prepared. Everybody say prepared. We want to be prepared. In verse 4, here's what it says. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Everybody say, not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. You see, Jesus is describing what he, we would call the time between the times. The time between his ascension when he left and he told his disciples, hey, I'm going to be with the Father, but what, when I go, I want, you to, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always until the end of the age. And so this is the time between that time. Jesus left, he ascended, and he will return. But this is talking about the time that we are actually living in today, the time between his ascension and the time between when he comes back. And Jesus is answering these questions for them. He says, there will be false Christs and cataclysmic events of war. There will be famine and natural disasters. And these are what are, he's describing as birth pains. Paul talks about these birth pains in Romans 8 as well. He says, the creation, it is groaning in pains of childbirth, waiting and longing to be delivered. I can remember, I know some of you ladies, if you've ever gone through birth pains, you know exactly what he's talking about when he describes this creation that is in pain and groaning, waiting to be delivered. I can remember when my wife was pregnant with our first son, Brock, and we went to the doctor just for a normal checkup, and it was uh, still a month away. He was only, she was only 36 weeks pregnant. And we went to the doctor just for your everyday, ordinary checkup, just to make sure things were going well. And the doctor walked back in the room and when he walked in the room, he looked at us and he said, today's the day. And we were caught off guard. We're like, come again? <laughs> what did you say? Uh, he said, today's the day. You're having that baby today. He said, I want you to get your stuff, go across the street to the hospital there. I'll meet you over there here in a little bit, but we're going we're gonna to have a baby today. And we were unprepared. We were not ready for that. You, we looked like we had we just a deer in headlights just going, I don't know if I heard him right. 
But here's what I know. We got to the hospital. They gave her some medicine that kind of induced her labor. And then over the next 18 hours, yeah, 18 hours, all you ladies that have had babies, you're going, oh, Lord. This was a long journey. But here's what I can tell you. As, as that time got nearer and nearer to his arrival, the pain and the intensity increased. She crushed my hand harder and harder with each contraction. She started to speak in this mean, angry, deep voice that I still don't really understand to this day. And in that moment, I began to pray and, and just give God and thank God that I was not a woman, that I did not have to go through that pain and suffering and Jesus uses this description that as the time approaches, as the time draws near, all of creation will be going through these things called birth pains. And Paul, and Paul in Romans talks about all of creation waiting and longing to be delivered. And Jesus in verse 9 through 13 says this, he says, Then they will deliver you up to a tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. In other words, Jesus is letting the disciples and letting us know, listen, persecutions and sufferings and pain will continue to increase. And as it increases, many will fall away. Many will not be able to handle it. Many will, as they say, as the going gets tough, they won't get going. They'll get going the other direction. They're going to run away. They're going to fall away because it's too much for them to bear. In verse 11, he says this, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. When he says this word, lawlessness will increase. He's saying, listen, as time goes on and the near draws, the end draws near, you're going to see society continue to drift. You're going to see society continue to just have this, uh, to grow cold and numb and desensitized to evil and wickedness. Do we not see that in our day and age where it's like we're not surprised by anything anymore? Like the more corrupt and the more evil it is, it's like, well, of course. It's like we've just grown numb to those things as we flip through the news or as we watch things online or social media, as we see some of the things that have been going on in our world and in our culture. It's like, man, when we don't think it can get any worse and any more corrupt and any more evil, it just continues to progress in that direction. And that's what he's saying when he says, because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. In other words, there will be a cold-hearted behavior that will just become the norm. Jesus says in verse 13, he says, but to the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is describing what the world will look like as this time draws near to his return. These birth pains, if you will, will become increasingly greater and more and more intense. And this is exactly where we find ourselves in 2020. Listen what he says in verse 14. He says, and this gospel, the, this gospel of the kingdom will be, everybody say will be, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, everybody say, and then, 
and then the end will come. The end is referencing the end of the age, not the end of the world as R.E.M. was singing about. But Jesus is coming to judge sinners and to restore creation. The end will come, he says, when the gospel of Jesus is preached to all the nations, despite the opposition of tribulation, and the gospel will not be stopped. Jesus promised that. He says, not even the gates of hell will prevail against us. We've seen this over and over through all of the centuries of the birth of the church, that the church, every time the church, the bride of Christ, faces opposition, faces hardship, faces persecution, it does not just run the other direction. It actually begins to thrive and begins to grow. And that's what we're going to see continue to happen throughout this time that we are in as well. And so Jesus gives us this broad overview of life between the times. In verse 15, Jesus is going to give us a very specific prophecy about an event that would occur in the lifetime of the disciples. And so answering the first question that the disciples asked, Jesus gives them the answer. He says when the, he gives them the, the answer to their question about when the temple would be destroyed. In verse 15, he says this, he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place let the reader understand he's quoting Daniel here so I don't, you don't have to flip back there but I would encourage you to write these down for your own reference so you can maybe go back later today or this week and you can read in Daniel what Daniel said in Daniel chapters 8 9 11 and 12 again that's chapters 8 9 11 and 12 Daniel references this abomination of desolation. You see, many Jewish scholars believed that this was fulfilled in 168 BC when Antiochus, who was the Seleucid king, erected an altar to Zeus in the temple and ordered there to be pig sacrifices to desecrate the temple. And so the disciples that are hanging out with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, when they're listening to him talk about the destruction of the temple, and Jesus quotes this reference of Daniel, they would immediately go, oh yeah, we've heard about that. We remember that. That was written down. We, we know exactly what you're talking about when this ruler um, sacrificed pigs in the temple and desecrated the temple. They would have known that. They would have remembered that. And in this moment, Jesus says, yeah, that that you remember that you read about in history, he said, that's child's play. That's child's play compared to what is coming. It's a reference when Jesus talks about this destruction of the temple in Matthew 24, he is prophesying and referencing the destruction of the temple that would happen in their lifetime 40 years later in 70 A.D., when the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers would siege and destroy Jerusalem and establish pagan altars after completely demolishing the temple. When you read through history, you see that because the way that, of the way the temple was coated in gold, that even after the temple burned and crumbled to the ground, then scavengers came along and, and would pry up the, the stones that had the, the gold melted on them, and they took and removed every stone from that place. And so Jesus' prophecy when he tells them that not a stone will be left unturned comes true just 40 years later in this moment. Look at verse 16 through 20. He says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. 
And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. In this moment, Jesus is warning his followers what to do during this coming siege of Jerusalem. Historians tell us when you read through the history books that this was a devastating time for Jews and Christians, that they had to flee to the mountains and hide, that they experienced severe persecution, slavery, disease, and famine, so severe that many parents resorted to cannibalizing their own children. Millions died during 70 AD when the Roman Empire sieged and destroyed everything. And here in this moment in Matthew 24, Jesus is predicting this 40 years before it happens. And in this, what he's doing is he's showing his sovereignty over all things. He's saying, I I see what's coming and I'm going to tell you in great detail how this is going to happen and when this is going to take place. He's letting the disciples know I see it all and I know it all. And you can trust me in this. You see, what does this prophecy have to do with the return of Christ? Jesus is preparing His disciples for what is coming. But also, this near event serves as a foreshadowing of the tribulation that will intensify until Christ's return. In verse 21, it says this, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be, would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. You see, Jesus is letting them know suffering is going to get so bad as the time draws near that if God did not intervene and cut those days short, that no one would survive. It's going to be that bad. But he says, but because of the elect, everyone say elect, because of the elect, the believers, in other words, those days will be cut short. Notice the warning that Jesus gives in the next few verses. In 23 through 26, he says this, Then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, don't miss this, even the elect... In other words, even believers could be led astray if they're not careful, if they don't pay attention and heed this warning. See, in verse 25, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's over there in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's over here in the inner rooms, do not believe it. See, in the midst of all of the suffering, there will be false Christs and false prophets that will want to lead us astray. They will have demonic powers and influence. But Jesus is saying to the disciples and us, He's saying, I'm telling you now, they're coming. They're going to try to deceive you. They're going to try to lead you astray. And He says, don't be deceived. I'm not just going to fly under the radar and return secretly. You will know when I return. Listen to what he says in verse 27 through 28. 
For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to come back quietly. I'm not going to come back to just some secret society and let only a few know, and then their job is to let you know. I'm not keeping my second return a secret. He says, as, it's just like lightning, lighting up the sky from as far as the east is from the west. You will be able to clearly see when the Son of Man returns. He says, when you look up and you see vultures circling in the sky, do you not know that there's a corpse lying over there rotting? He says, that's how you'll know. It will be plain to see for everyone. It will be visible for everyone to be able to tell that the Son of Man has come back and has returned. What will this day be like? Verse 29 through 31 says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will, give it, will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. You see, whether this imagery of darkness and stars falling is literal or figurative, what we know is that in this moment, when Christ returns, that it is a powerful, earth-altering moment when the King of the universe returns in power and splendor and majesty, there will be no mistaking it. Everyone will know. It says, when he says, the Son of Man coming on the clouds, it's a picture that was given to us again in the book of Daniel. In fact, in Daniel 7, listen to what he says as he prophesies this day. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, the second coming of Christ is not like the first coming. The first coming of Christ, the first advent, Jesus came as a suffering servant to bring salvation. But the second coming of Christ, Jesus will come as a conquering king, a king, a warrior bringing judgment to all of humanity. And Jesus goes on to tell us that we should pay attention to the signs and be ready for his appearing. He says, but his judgment will come as a surprise. Listen to verse 36. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Everybody say no one. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So we don't need charts. We don't need timelines. We don't need predictions because Jesus makes it very clear here. He says, How, who will know? No one. Not the angels, not even Jesus himself. He says this day, this time is only for the Father to know. 
I can't tell you how many times in, in my lifetime I've seen all these crazy predictions and Nostradamus and this and that. In fact, it goes back to when I was a kid. I, I lived an entire weekend in 1988 shaking in my boots because I heard about 88 reasons why the rapture will happen in 1988. And I read this little track and I started going, What's going to happen? Oh, this is it. This is the weekend. He's coming back. And then all of a sudden you get to others like Y2K, right? And then 2012, the Mayan calendar. And we should all look at it. And I'm still waiting for those, right? Aren't you? You're going, okay. Again, it proves this text to be true. Who knows? No one knows when this will happen. Not even the Son, only the Father. Look at, listen to verse 37. For as were the days of Noah... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what happened in the days of Noah? that Jesus is referencing there. Noah was given a word by God, a prophecy, a message that I'm going to judge the evil and the wickedness and the sins of humanity. And so, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And so Noah obeys God and does what God tells him to do. And he starts building this ark. And while he's building it, he's going around preaching the message saying, you guys got to understand God is going to judge the sins of humanity. You need to turn. You need to repent. You need to come with me. You need to get into the ark. He's going to send floodwaters to destroy the earth. And no one would listen to Noah. It says that they just went about their everyday, ordinary lives, living and drinking and partying and celebrating, doing what they always do. And then all of a sudden, Noah entered the ark and they were all caught off guard, unprepared, and they were swept away in the judgment of God. And the only ones that survived were those that found themselves in the ark. Jesus says in verse 40, this is what it will be like when I return. Everyone will be going about their everyday, ordinary lives, doing their thing, not even giving any kind of second thought to the second return of Christ, just going about their merry lives, and then all of a sudden, I will appear. And this is how Jesus describes it in verse 40. He says this, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. This is not about the rapture. This is about judgment. This picture that we see is a normal day, everyday normal day of people going about their business, going about their ordinary lives, and without a warning, just like that, Christ will return. And those who are not in Him, just as those who were not in the ark in Noah's day, will be swept away in judgment. They, if they're not found in Christ, they will be swept away in the judgment of God. So how do we respond to this this morning? There's three exhortations I want us to see this morning if you're taking notes. The first one is this. We can live with confidence in Jesus' sovereignty. You see, Jesus, through this entire dialogue in Matthew 24, is proving to be sovereign over everything over every bit of creation. And this is why he gives us the warning about the temple destruction and the tribulation to come. He says to them in verse 6, he says this, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. In other words, don't panic. Don't worry. Don't be alarmed. For this must take place. He's in charge of all of this. He says in verse 22, 
that he will cut this short. The tribulation that we are facing, the persecution that it continues to increase, the unrest politically and economically, we must rest in the fact that he is in control of all of this. I know this is hard for us because sometimes we look around at the things that are going on in our society. We look at this, the, the political unrest. We look at the, the natural disasters. We look at the, the global pandemic. And in our minds, if you're like me, you start to be a little bit alarmed. You start to worry and you go, God, did you forget? Did you fall asleep up there? Like, how could you allow these things to happen? What is going on here, right? I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of how we approach that. And Jesus wants us to know, man, I've, I've got this all under control. I see everything from beginning to end. I hold it all together. And I know that we're just a few days away now from the election that's coming up here in our country. And listen, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to, to pray. I want to encourage you to go and vote. I want to encourage you to watch the results. But while you do all of this, I want you to live with confidence in Jesus' sovereignty, sovereignty, even over that. You see, Jesus has all of it under his control, and all of this will work out to his, not ours, but his greater plan. So my candidate may not win, your candidate may not win, but here's what I can tell you this morning with absolute confidence. Jesus' candidate will win. There's never been a king or a ruler or a president that has been in their position without Jesus making, allowing it to happen in his sovereignty. He sees all things, he knows all things, and he will use all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He is the king of the universe. He is not shaken or moved by anything, and he is sovereign over it all and rules over it all. So I want you to live with confidence in Jesus' sovereignty. The second thing is this. Live with endurance through Jesus' power. The whole focus of this passage is about faithful endurance no matter what comes our way. He says persecution will come. Deception will come. People will try to lead you astray. Tribulations will come. And he warns us that because of this, many will be led astray. Many will fall away. And he says, don't be one of them. Don't allow it to happen. I've, I've told you these things in order that you might not fall away. Verse 13, he says this, the one who endures to the end, this is about endurance. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved this 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 does not mean this is not a means of salvation this is evidence and proof of our salvation that we will endure through all of this until the end i can't tell you how many times over the years that i've had men and women good friends that were in the ministry that were pursuing the things of jesus and then for whatever reason when persecution and difficulties and hardships came into their life they were led astray and they sadly have fallen away and in this, Jesus says, not only will they fall away, they will also then join the world and the culture in the persecution of the saints. I want you to hear this this morning, and this is a hard truth for, us, for me to say, and this is a hard truth for us to hear, but it's true regardless. There will be some people who do not endure. There will be some that fall away. The cares of the world, the trials of life are going to be too much. It's going to cause some to throw in the towel 
and say, I can't do it anymore, it's not worth it, and just fall away and turn away. Jesus is warning us here so that you and I, that we would endure. My fear, what I've seen transpire over the last year, especially over these last seven, eight, nine months, however long it's been now, is that in this weird, strange season that we find ourselves in, is that COVID-19 has given some people the best excuse, the best excuse to just fall away. Some have departed over masks. Some have departed over fear. And I want to encourage you, don't allow those things to cause you to fall away. If you're going to fall away over fear or over masks, then man, it's going to get a whole lot worse than that. And so I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here, and I'm not just talking about new beginnings. I have friends at other churches in other states, and they're looking around their churches going, man, where is everyone? Where have they gone? Our church, our, our chairs are empty. People have left. They have fallen away. They have disengaged and gone the other direction. And so I'm telling you, New Beginnings, don't allow this this season that we're in to cause you to fall away. This is not a time to withdraw, but this is a time that we should draw near, that we should draw near to Jesus, draw near to one another, strengthen one another, encourage one another while today is still today, that we would persevere and press on. The last one is this, that we must live with urgency on Jesus' mission. That's this series that we're going to be doing, talking about for the next several weeks. We must live with urgency on Jesus' mission. Verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is one of my favorite verses in God's Word because it's why we as the church go on local and global missions as the church for Christians. This is where our eschatology our theology of end times is directly tied to what we call our missiology, our mission, the, the, the mission of the gospel, the study of missions and evangelism. And so the point is not that we are, by doing these things, we're going to expedite the return, but rather that the continued impact of the gospel would be until he does return. So he does, he, this is why that we must live with what we're talking about, this urgency about us. There will be a generation, when we read through Scripture, that gets to finish the task. And here's what I mean by that. Growing up in West Texas, I had a good friend of mine that lived just down the street. And uh, we've been friends as long as we can remember since we were in diapers. But his dad would do these large puzzles and uh, I don't know if you have, have anybody in the room that does these things. I, I don't have the patience for it. But he would, he would start these puzzles. And when I was a kid, I'd look at this going, man, that's going to take forever. Like he's never going to finish that thing. There's like 10,000 pieces of this puzzle. And he would start one piece at a time. And he would, he would slowly work on this. It would take him days, weeks, months, sometimes um, six months. And he would start to build this thing and put these pieces together on his dining room table. And the puzzle would cover the entire table. And he would work on this thing. And every time I would go there, I'd see a little bit more of it done. And then a little bit more of it done. And a little bit more until we finally got to that day where we would be out in the yard playing. And, my, and Mr. Bill, as I call him, he would come and get us. And he'd say, hey, boys, come in here real quick. I've got something for you. And we would walk in there and we'd see that all of the puzzle was 
almost done. And there would be two remaining pieces to be put into the puzzle. And he'd say, hey, I want you guys to be the ones to take these last two pieces and I want you to put them in to complete the picture. That's what it's going to be like. How awesome would it be to be that generation that gets to be the generation that takes the last pieces of the puzzle and puts them in place because we live with a sense of urgency. We're living on mission for the sake of the gospel that we're found faithful in doing the things that God has called us to do and that we get to be the ones to put the pieces of the puzzle in that completes the picture and then Jesus returns and redeems and takes all of us to be with him. How amazing would that be to be that generation? Therefore, stay awake, he says, for you do not know at what day the Lord is coming. In other words, you don't know when, it's gonna, when that middle school boy is going to share his faith with one of his friends and he's going to come to know who Christ is. You don't know when that missionary across the globe is going to do the final work and put the last piece of the puzzle in place. He's saying, you don't know when that day is going to come, so I need you to stay awake, stay alert, to be ready, for the Lord is coming. And Jesus tells us at the end of Matthew 24 a couple of stories of what it's going to be like. The first is this man who was robbed by a thief. He says, if you knew the hour a thief was coming, you would be ready. For no thief comes announced. And then the second analogy is this, found in verses 45 through 51. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? to give them their food at the proper time. Verse 46, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect it and in an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Jesus is wanting us to know, I am the master and I have put you in charge. I have given you a task to do. And so you need to be found faithful doing the things that I've called you to do when I return. So what does this mean for us? It means that we need to be ready it means that we need to be doing what the Master has told us to do. We need to be living on mission. This is serious business. This is urgent. We need to live with an urgency. The world is passing away in all of its vain pursuits. People are dying and going to hell, and they're going to spend all of eternity separated from the love of the Father. We need to live for what matters most, and we need to be ready as the church let me ask you this morning as we wrap this up, if there will be some that are swept away in judgment, how could we not be certain of our own salvation? How could we not be pointing people to the ark, saying that is the only way you'll ever make it, is if you're found in Him? So as we wrap this up and as I pray for us this morning, I want us to, to ask ourselves these two questions. If the judge is at the door... If Jesus were to light up the sky like lightning from east to west, whether that's today, tomorrow, next week, next month, will you be prepared? Will you be ready for his return? 
You see, when he returns, not if, but when, when he returns, you and I will either be judged in Christ or we will be judged by Christ. If we are judged in Christ, that means that we are in him that we now have His righteousness, that we have been forgiven and redeemed and restored into right relationship with the Father. And so when the Father sees us, He doesn't see all of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness. What He sees is the perfection and righteousness of His Son. And so we are found in Him. And so if we are judged in Him, we are safe and secure because of who Christ is and what He has done. He is our ark and we are safe in His arms. But if we are judged by him, that's a whole different ballgame. If we are judged by him, it is eternal separation from him in a real place called hell where we will spend forever separated from the love of the Father. So let me ask you this morning, if the judge is at the door, do you know if you're in him or if you'll be judged by him? I want to ask you this morning to wrestle with that when we pray as the band leads us, when we pray in a minute, I want to ask you, are you in Christ? That's the only hope that we have. If you are in Him, here's what my next question I want you to wrestle with because this is what I've been convicted of and wrestled with all week. If you're in Him, will the judge find you living urgently, faithfully to the mission, the things that He has called you to do? Are you taking the gospel to those around you with a sense of urgency? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that we have seen in Matthew 24. God, I pray right now in the quietness of this moment that your spirit would do what only it can do, that you would draw people unto yourself, that you would convict us, that you would show us where we are. God, if there's anyone in this room or under the sound of my voice that is not found in you, may today be the day of their salvation. May today be the day that they realize they are dead in their sins. They are lost and hopeless without you. And if you come back, they will spend forever separated from you. And so God, I'm asking you today to move in their hearts, draw them to salvation, draw them unto yourself. May they really realize today is the day that they are entering into a relationship with you. And Father, for the rest of us that are in you, may today be the day that your Spirit lights a fire within us that gives us a sense of urgency for the sake of the gospel. May you draw to our minds attention and our hearts desire those that are around us that are lost, those that don't know you. May we have an urgency about us to go to those people, to go to those places, to have those conversations, to make them understand who you are and what you've done for us. God, may we be found faithful as the church, living with a sense of urgency. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.